I'm sure that by the end of Catherine reading Numbers chapter 20, many of you were feeling a bit sorry for Moses, maybe even wondering whether God seems a bit harsh given Moses' crime. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what did Moses do wrong and think why does it matter? I thought that it might be engaging if we pretended that you were in the public gallery of an appeal court and Moses was appealing the severity of his sentence. I hasten to add that none of this will be accurate on how courts operate and I'm sure during this time our solicitor warden Paul will be appalled. You have to forgive me because I have very little operation of little knowledge of the real life operation of a courtroom. Most of my knowledge is based on TV crime shows. With that very big qualification, let's settle down in the appeal court for Moses and the Crown. I need you to imagine the scene in front of you. You're at the back and to the left of of centre for you, you have Moses and his lawyer with their backs to you. For your ease, I'm going to refer to them as a defence, though since this is an appeal, that's not strictly accurate. To the right of Senna, you have the Crown Barrister with her back to you. She's tall with golden hair and face like an angel. Again, for your ease, I'm going to refer to her as the prosecution. In the centre, up on the bench, you're looking at the appeal court judge who looks conspicuously like a cloud by day and a fire by night. It is, of course, the glory of the Lord of the Book of Numbers. And for our purposes tonight, you need to overlook the fact that this judge is the same judge and Lord who imposed the original sentence. That wouldn't normally happen for an appeal. The judge has settled and nods to the defence barrister. The defence barrister jumps to his feet. Lord Judge, my client Moses wishes to appeal the sentence handed down to him at Kadesh in the desert of Zin. He acknowledges that he is guilty of not doing exactly what the Lord God said to do, that he didn't speak to the rock but instead hit it twice with Aaron's staff. However, in mitigation, Lord Judge, please consider firstly the difficult personal circumstances my client and the co-accused, his older brother Aaron the priest, were experiencing that day. Their older sister Miriam has recently died and they're still suffering grief from her loss. Consider too, Lord Judge, the difficult role Moses has been performing. By this day, On the the day this incident occurred, it has been 40 years, 40 years Moses has shepherded the Lord's people Israel in the wilderness. It's 40 years since they left Egypt. Most of the original adult generation have died out. Soon the people will be moving closer to the land across the river to the land that God has promised them. Sadly, however, this second generation is proving to be no better behaved than their parents. They've not learned from the numerous sins of their parents of grumbling, complaining, rebellion. On the day the incident, the subject of this appeal occurred, this new generation, faced with a very real shortage of water, took out their frustration on Moses and Aaron. 
Moses and his brother were under very real pressure. Two men standing in the face of over 700,000 men plus their women and children, accusing the brothers of bringing them to the wilderness to die and deceiving themselves that life was better when they were slaves back in Egypt or, in truthful case, their parents. Not for the first time, Moses faced down a revolt against his authority which was in reality a rejection of the Lord's choice of Moses and Aaron, of the Lord's choice, the Lord's authority as God of Israel. It was a very difficult situation. But to their credit, Lord Judge, the brothers humbly threw themselves on the ground in the presence of their Lord God, willing for the Lord God's help and intervention. Please consider also, Lord Judge, the many times that Moses has been faithful in the service of the Lord God. The many times, tend to be exact, he faced off with the evil and frighteningly powerful Pharaoh in Egypt. And the times he taught Israel the law of the Lord, Moses has been zealous in the service of the Lord. And finally, Lord Judge, I have a character reference for Moses from the writer of the Lord God's book of Moses, of Numbers, at an earlier time when Miriam and Aaron challenged Moses' authority, it was noted that Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. There, there are numerous examples in Moses' long life of him completely obeying the Lord God, obeying him to the letter not least of which was the way Moses oversaw with scrupulous attention to detail the building of the tabernacle to the Lord God's exact specifications so that the Lord God might dwell among his people. For these reasons, Lord Judge, I would ask you to set my client's most unblemished, almost unblemished record against this relatively minor indiscretion at Kadesh. The defence barrister nods and takes his seat. On behalf of the Crown, the prosecution barrister rises to her feet. She glances briefly to her left at Moses and then in a slow voice, almost inaudible at first, asked, Did I hear my learned brother for the defence describe the defendant's crime as minor, as an indiscretion? Lord Judge, the defendant's action was a crime of the highest order, a crime committed against no less than the Lord God himself, a sin of disobedience, and that can never be relatively minor. The facts are not in question, but for the benefit of the court, I'll summarise them. At this point, the Lord Judge looks with piercing eye at the prosecution barrister and says, may I remind the Crown not to waste the time of this court with facts which, by her own omission, are not in question. Lord Judge, thank you. I will be brief, but it's extremely crucial to the Crown's case to revisit exactly what was supposed to happen and what actually did happen that day in front of the rock at Kadesh. What was supposed to happen was this. The defendant and his brother, and I'm reading now, Lord Judge, from line eight in the Statement of Facts, take the staff 
and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. I note, Lord Judge, that the defendant did obediently collect the staff and that they then did obediently gather the assembly together in front of the rock. However, at this point, the defendant ceased to obey the Lord God's command and went his own way. From line 10 of the statement of facts, Lord Judge, he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Notice the plural personal pronoun in that statement, must we bring you water out of this rock? Granted, as my learned friend on the other side has already argued, this was a stressful situation and that, yes, there was provocation. The people were behaving rebelliously. But does that give the defendant licence to act like it is he and not the Lord God who provides the water for the community and their livestock? This is not all. The low point of the defendant's actions comes with his action with the staff at line 11. He raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. By saying we and then hitting the rock twice, Moses was disobeying the instructions of the Lord God and presenting himself in the Lord God's role. Now, Lord Judge, this is a very serious action for anyone to perform. But for a leader, the leader of God's people to act in this way is the height of blasphemy. Now, at this point, Moses' barrister cannot contain himself. He springs to his feet and interjects, Lord Judge, I must protest. The crown is insulting my client calling him a blasphemer. My client has never uttered a word of blasphemy in his life. The Lord Judge responds, I don't want this court to descend into an argument involving the cutting and dicing of words, so I'm inclined to accept the defence point. I don't think I'd describe the defendant's action at this point as blasphemy. Counsel for the Crown, please withdraw your accusation, reword your statement. The barrister for the Crown nods and continues. Lord Judge, I apologise to the court for my enthusiasm. My point is that the defendant failed to acknowledge that it is the Lord God who provides water, food and protection for the people of Israel. In that moment by the rock, he purported to be the provider to Israel. So close, in fact, that even my learned friend on the other side could concede that Moses went very close to the B word. She hastens on because the Lord Judge looks like he's about to reprimand her again. My point, Lord Judge, is this. The defendant, for all his exemplary record, failed in this key aspect of his leadership. He was the leader of the people of the Lord God. As such, he should have modelled to that rebellious people what it is, what it was, to act obediently to God. I'd like to read from the original trial court's judgment at line 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honour me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. By their actions at the rock, the defendant and his co-accused failed 
to treat the Lord God as God, as the one who's to be obeyed above all others. They didn't model such obedience to the Israelites, which was crucial to their roles. Lord Judge, the sentence imposed on the defendant Moses must not be reduced. It fits the serious crime he committed. And the defendant's previous record, while impressive, I note, has already been taken into account in sentencing. I'm reliably informed that he will be allowed to live out his life to 120 years and see across the promised land from Mount Nebo before his death. For many other rebels, formerly in Moses' acquaintance, their punishment for rebelling against the holy God or his leader was a rather different, brutal and sudden death. In closing, Lord Judge, I'd like to highlight that to mitigate the the sentence imposed at trial will in fact undo work already done to repair the damage done by the defendant. You'll notice the expert witness testimony listed at line 13 of the statement. I'll read the key conclusion. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarrelled with the Lord and where he showed himself holy among them. May I highlight for the court that when the defendants failed to honour and obey the Lord in the sight of their fellow Israelites, it was left to the Lord God to show himself holy among them. And how did he do that? Well, by the judgment imposed on the defendant and his brother. It is clear that the Lord God is the one, the holy one above all others, who is to be taken seriously. The Lord God is to be feared, trusted and obeyed, even for if even his greatest leader, who did so good, is punished when he fails to trust and obey his Lord. Lord Judge, if this appeal against the defendant's sentence is successful, it will send a message that the Lord God can be disobeyed and sidelined without consequence. It will diminish his holiness. At this point, the prosecution barrister resumes her seat. The defence barrister rises and seeks to respond to her, but he sounds a bit desperate. He points out that it had been the Lord's command to take along the staff and what was Moses supposed to do with it? And that at line eight in the statement of facts, the Lord God has said, you will bring water out of the rock for this community. So shouldn't so should Moses be blamed for using the staff to get the same result and for saying we when in fact God himself had said you. But from the public gallery, it's noticeable for us that the defence barrister doesn't really address the key issue concerning what impression of God Moses' behaviour gave the Israelites. Would the Israelites be thinking God was holy, powerful and generous with all that water or that Moses and Aaron were impressive and powerful? By their words and actions, they hadn't pointed to God. When the defence barrister resumes his seat, the Lord Judge thanks both sides 
and announces that he'll adjourn to consider his judgment. While we're waiting for the Lord Judge to return, we in the public gallery are given time to think over what we've just heard, whether we think Moses is guilty, whether in fact we could uh, commit the same sin as Moses and Aaron, that of failing to acknowledge God as holy before other people in our words or our actions or a lack of them. As Christians, we are to be ambassadors for Christ, or that's what Paul describes us as. The Lord Jesus himself challenges us to be salt and light. And the Apostle Peter, well, he says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession to declare the praises of him to the world. So the question is, before our family, our friends, the people at work, the people at uni or school, do we treat God as the Lord he is? Or do we give the impression that it's okay to pick and choose when you'll obey God? Obey him when that life choice suits you, like being loving, but not when he cramps your style. Think of uh, some of your closest friends. Here's the test for you. From you, would they think that Jesus is one to be taken seriously? Or would they think that being a Christian is just like a hobby, something you do because you like it? Or, or would they think from you that God is impotent and there's no power? Or have you even given the impression that God is non-existent? For that's what it looks like in your life to your friends. Of course, we all have times when we let the Lord down. When with, say, for example, a, a non-Christian person, we, we could have said something about trusting God in response to something they say, and we wimp out. Now, when those times happen, say sorry to God and know you're forgiven because you trust in Christ and ask for help to do better next time. But this passage raises for us that question whether the consistent trend of our life is to hide Jesus under a pot or in a handbag or leave him at home when we're out. If that's you, if, if you err in that direction, then watch out that you don't go so far that the Lord could be insulted that you're not honouring him in the sight of your friends, family or workmates. Ah, the Lord Judge is returning to the court. The defendant is asked to stand and the Lord Judge reads out his judgment. And it all sounds suspiciously like Deuteronomy chapter 3, uttered by Moses after they have a few big military victories amid